This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Because on Friday, I did a little mini fashion show. And if you listen closely to our video, you'll understand why. I'm Angela Cocott from Calgary Today on News Talk 770 Radio. And if you know anything about me, you know that, first of all, I don't like to shop. Secondly, I'm really cheap. So one day while I was on Facebook, I got sucked into an ad for rosegal.com. And I thought, look, cute little dresses, not too much to pay, 13 bucks, $23. So within a matter of 15 minutes, I ordered four dresses for $93. The next day, I came to work, and I told the producers, hey, I've got these dresses coming. Well, Whitney, my one producer, and Katie, they both said, what are you doing? You're not going to get those dresses, and if you get those dresses, they're not going to fit. Do you not know about fast fashion, which I didn't know. Apparently, I am supporting some drug lord in Asia or maybe a billionaire. So I said, okay, first of all, am I ever going to get them? Well, just under three weeks, they arrived in the mail. So I want to find out, first of all, do they look at all like I ordered? Secondly, when I say my size, is that my size in North America or is that my size in China? So let me just see here. Uh Okay, that looks like maybe this one. Okay, that's one. Uh, this one, uh, it might be this dress. And then another one I ordered too. So, I'm heading to the washroom. I'm going to try them on. And if they fit, I'll come out and show you. If not, it's the end of this vlog. Other than needing a really good press, and uh, I think the size is pretty bang on, the material, fine. I mean, really, I'm paying 23 bucks or so on average for a dress. Overall, I'm pretty happy. Now, of course, we shortened the fashion show. That was the funky music you heard in the middle there because it doesn't trans well, translate well to radio. However, if you want to see the fashion show, and I am no Heidi Klum, but you can go to News Talk 770. The reason I did this whole process, though, was to find out what fast fashion is. And I'd like to bring in our guest this half hour, Sarah Idakavit. She's a fashion historian and activist, teaches part-time at Parsons, the new school for design, and she joins us today. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Angela. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm almost feeling bad because you're probably judging me and saying, how could you do that, Angela? So let's start oh, with never. <laughs> let's start with the beginning here. What's fast fashion? Well, you know, the textbook definition is just cheap and affordable clothes that are the result of catwalk trends moving into stores in the fastest possible way. And this is considered to be a relatively new term and concept. However, uh, what I found in my own research is that clothing makers have been devising these new ways to accelerate changes in style for centuries, like long before stores like H&M ever opened. So really, in my opinion, uh, fast fashion is just a term given to this constantly evolving production system that has been gaining momentum since the 1800s. Well, and I'm glad you're the historian. Yeah, Yeah, you're the historian, Sarah. So you're going as far back as the 1800s. But kind of give me an idea of how fashions have evolved over the, the centuries. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll try to keep it short and sweet since it is a very complicated um, system. 
But, you know, before the 1800s, most people raised their own sheep to get wool, to spin their own yarn, to weave their own cloth, to make their own clothes. So the rate at which people adopted new styles was very, very, very slow. Uh, the cycle that fashion or the, the when the fashion cycle really picked up a pace to be noticeable was uh, during the Industrial Revolution uh, throughout the 1800s, which introduced new textile machines and factories and ready-made clothing which wouldn't have at all been possible without the invention of the sewing machine because um, that contributed to a very uh, rapid fall in the price of clothing. So this all really relates to how we buy clothing today, even though it seems, you know, so absurd and antiquated. Um, but then the popularity of ready-made, you know, store-bought women's fashion didn't actually really catch on until after the Second World War. Um, and that was because there was this increase in the standardization of all clothing just to, you know, make do with the war effort. And then middle class consumers became a little bit more receptive to the value of this pre-made clothing. So that really boosted it. And then that kind of brings us into the beginning of what we know fast fashion today uh, in the 1960s with young people continuing to adopt new trends faster and faster. And then in the 1970s, when all these uh textile factories and garment making factories popped up around the developing world, which was in order, of course, for U.S. and European companies to save millions of dollars in production. So that's kind of how we bring it to what we know fast fashion today, starting in the 80s and the 90s, uh, more with these brands like Zara and H&M, like just reaching globalized massive quantities and um Yep, that's really what all contributed to the beginning of this system. Yeah, thanks for the time travel. And you know what? It, 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 it is great to even think back to the 60s. And I think of my mother. Well, we were from a large family, but she would make all our clothes. And every now and then we might be able to order something from Sears catalog. So, you know, even when you think about it, the, the term off the rack, I mean, that was crazy that you could buy something off a rack and it would fit you. So I'm glad you've given a bit of the perspective to that. But go back to even when we started to have factories and even there it sounds like you're still saying North America whether it was Canada or the US we made the clothes that we sold and wore in North America correct yes that is correct uh, I mean it would have taken a very long time to even have things shipped from overseas and at the same time these factories um, that are in India and Asia these were not uh, quite they, I don't many of them had not opened yet or yeah. at least for global consumption um, so yeah actually in the 1800s even though we had these new giant factories throughout North America uh, most people still made their own clothes just because that was what was convenient and people lived in very rural areas and that's just kind of how life was but at the same time there was this option that you could go into the department store and buy a dress that in either a size you know small medium large which was incredibly revolutionary um so that that all started in the 1800s yep wow i mean and as you say small medium or large we just live with that mm -hmm. but to think way back then now what came first though companies looking for factories overseas or the factories overseas whether it was china or india saying we can mass produce this stuff and reaching out to the companies i'm just curious do you have an idea what order that came in you know, I actually don't have um, a very clear idea of the order. From my research, it seems to be kind of like it happened at the same time. Mm. I mean, like the same thing with electronics and 
packaging, like all these things, uh, I'm sure that these factories in other countries just kind of caught on to what they could offer these North American fashion companies. So that's in European fashion companies. So um, I'm, I'm afraid I can't really give you a clear idea of the timeline for that exact moment. Um, don't worry. I don't expect you to know every crazy <laughs> question I ask you. Now, I want to play another clip here because there is a documentary out. And if you want to really feel guilty about buying cheap clothes, you've got to watch it. It's called True Cost. And I'm just going to play uh, the trailer here. We communicate who we are through clothing. It is fundamentally a part of what we wish to communicate about ourselves. We used to have a system, a fashion system. That has absolutely nothing to do with the fashion industry today. It has been reinvented. It's based on materialism. The problem is that comes at a really high price. factory collapsed, killing more than 1,000. Clashes between clothes factory workers and riot police in Cambodia. Last November, 112 people were killed in another major factory fire. 30,000 Chinese workers and little Garment workers in Bangladesh are paying the price for cheap clothing. Well, the promise of globalization was that it was going to be a win-win, that consumers in the rich world would get cheaper goods and people in the poorer parts of the world would get jobs and that those jobs would give them an opportunity to work their way out of poverty. This enormous, rapacious industry that is generating so much profit, why is it that it is unable to support millions of its workers properly? The actual business model is completely unsustainable. Unless you change that model, you can't change anything. When everything is concentrated on making profits, what you see is that human rights, the environment, workers' rights get lost. My God, we can do better than this. And that's just uh, the trailer for True Cost. Sarah Idakavich is my guest this half hour. She's a fashion historian and activist, also teaches part-time at Parsons, the new school for design. Now, Sarah, even the filmmaker says of True Cost, they really don't want us to leave the film feeling guilty that we are buying some cheaper clothing, but he wants us to sort of think twice about what we are contributing to and maybe spend a little bit more every now and then as opposed to, you know, buying one good quality thing instead of 10 poor quality things. Yes, definitely. Um, I just recently watched that film. It is incredibly uh, startling, the things that it uncovers. But uh, yeah, you know, I'd have to agree with at the same time, you know, I, I would never encourage anybody to buy disposable fashion and you know, because I know of these problems and I would encourage people to make ethical decisions, you know, try to choose brands that are focused on uh, labor practices and sustainable materials. But at the same time, you know, we're just human beings. We are totally prone to make this or, you know, we're we're just creatures of habit. And we know that alcohol is bad for us, but we still drink it. And we know that the farming industry do horrendous things to chickens and cows but i would love a cheeseburger right now so you know it's just it's hard but it definitely helps that we're starting to take these steps to recognize the faults in the industry and since you know this kind of the history overview i gave to you it's just been this constant drive to become faster and faster and to get 
new clothes in consumers' hands, you know, as quickly as possible. That's just been the point of what the fashion industry really is. And, you know, it's kind of the first time we're kind of just trying to slow down a bit. And it's either rejecting the brands completely or just trying to think very hard, like, do I want this dress? Will I wear this dress two years, three years, hopefully 10 years, but that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's just something that we kind of have to work on personally and weigh the good and the bad. And again, you know, I, I totally think these are terrible, terrible problems, but there are small steps that we can take and it's just, it's how life is today. So we need to at least be aware of it. All right, Sarah, you're saying to slow down. We're going to slow down for a commercial break, and I'll talk to you about social media and how it's fueling this whole thing as well after this. Sarah Cavett, Ida Cavett, rather. Sorry, Sarah, about that. A fashion historian, and she is talking about fast fashion. I'm Angela Kogat. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. We are talking about fast fashion, and if you are like me, a week ago, I'd never even heard of it. And uh, that's why I I did happen to order something, and it looked like a legitimate website called rosegel.com. And then my producer said, what are you doing? You're supporting fast fashion. You're not helping the people who have to make those clothes. It's not going to fit. Well, in three weeks, I got the stuff, although I'm still waiting for one more dress, but that's not a big deal. Uh, so I was surprised it actually fit. And uh, I'm talking to Sarah Idakavit. She is a fashion historian and activist, and she also teaches part-time at the Parsons, the new school for design. Where's that? Where are you, Sarah? I am in New York City. You're in New York City. So Parsons, the new school for design, is in New York City. Yep, yep Perfect. It is. Perfect. Okay, well, you know, New York, it is the fashion hub. And every spring and fall, it seems like we come out with the new fashions. I even wonder where it came. Well, I understand in Canada, we have to have lighter clothes in the summer and heavier clothes in the winter. But have we always had that cycle of what's new for spring? What's new for fall? Yes. I mean, ever since uh, uh, couture houses really started to have fashion shows and to attract clients, people would typically, like you said, there'd be two collections. There would be a spring, summer and an autumn, winter. And uh, people would buy their autumn winter clothes in the spring to prepare and vice versa. And that's kind of how the fashion week tend to operate today. But this is actually an interesting point you bring up in relation to fast fashion. Because consumers now have this expectation to expect a very uh, steady stream of new clothes, if you walk into you know, an H&M or Forever 21 or a Zara every week, you want to see something new that you haven't seen before. And because of that, uh, these retailers are now kind of forced to manufacture up to 15 or more collections each year. So it's not so much spring and summer. It's like spring one, spring two, spring three. And that is just insane and very new. And then at the same time, these like French couture houses and all these traditional designers, they are now forced to do more collections and more spin-off lines to kind of meet this new perceived change in uh, consumerism. We don't even have to walk into a fashion store. Uh, we can walk into a grocery store uh, in Canada, Superstore. You go buy the clothes, and uh, sure enough, the Joe Fresh clothes are there as well. Sarah, here's my question, yeah. though, about mm-hmm. social media, because as I said... I got trapped into it because I was on Facebook and um, suddenly I saw some cute dresses and on sale, on sale. I didn't even have to leave my house. So is that another major contributor to this vicious cycle? Yeah, I mean, I 
I do believe that the internet and online shopping has completely changed fashion because, you know, the internet's really changed everything that we do. And it's really helped to fuel this increasing psychological need or desire to obtain new things, like you said, and it's very convenient. And so if you're sitting at your desk at work and you're bored and you see these ads pop up, there's absolutely nothing stopping you from clicking them. And for a lot of these websites, uh, the retailers, like the one you ordered from, that's actually a little bit, there are some um, questionable practices there, but for a huge, more uh, trusted retailer such as ASOS, which is a, a UK-based brand, um, you can order as much as you want for super-duper cheap, and then when it arrives, if you don't like things, you just send it back. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, changed the game quite a bit. You don't have to save up. You don't have to have a shopping day that you go to the store with your family and everyone buys their new winter collection. Yeah. It should just be every day, every hour you buy something new. And if you don't like it, return it or just don't wear it because it was so cheap that, you know, maybe it doesn't make a difference to you. So, Sarah, can one person really can one person really make a difference? Like what advice do you have for uh, people as they try to not participate in this because it's hard to find things even if i'm not ordering online that hasn't been made overseas and is relatively yeah. inexpensive yeah you know it's it is really tough and even you know this is actually a question that i personally struggle with every single day because like you said i lived in i live in new york it's the fashion capital we pretty much have a fast fashion retailer on every block it seems and like you know dozens of other women i get or sorry millions of other women i really get a thrill out of making a new purchase and on top of that my income's not terribly high so it is hard for me to get the willpower to save up for this $400 jacket when i could go buy one that looks the same and gives me the same you know meets my needs for $40 at azara so it's very very tough um i would never pass judgment on people because you know this is all like i said something that we're personally trying to deal with and the advice I would have is, yes, to be aware of the practices that are impacting um, everything that you buy, whether it be people working for insanely low wages and very uh, dangerous conditions, as we know about from these recent tragedies um, that have come into the spotlight, or what is also very troubling is the chemicals that are used to make these textiles and then how those impact the environment, as well as the millions and millions of garments that we're adding to landfills every year. Sarah, I'm going um, to start a new movement, Slow Fashion, and I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for your input on this. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You bet, Sarah. Ida Cavage. I want to op open up the phone lines to you after the break. I'm Angela Cocott. You're listening to Calgary Today. Back after this. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.